0: Thank you, Rhonda. Go ahead and have a seat, if you would, please. And if you haven't yet passed out those uh, sermon outlines there for you to take notes, if you'd like, uh, go ahead and pass those down the aisle there, if you would. No blanks or anything like that today, but I've just given you a little bit of a uh, a gist of the the three main parts of that passage that we've just read so that you can uh, follow along there. Before we get into Hebrews 12 here, this is uh, the last In a long series on Hebrews here, this is part, uh, 16 of our series in Hebrew. We've been going through, um, just a little bit at a time throughout the book. And, uh, yes, for those of you who have been reading, there is another chapter, but, uh, most of it is, uh, sort of like, uh, hey, announcements. Make sure you do this. Make sure you do this. Don't forget this. So as far as the, as far as the literary structure of Hebrews, we're going to end today and I'll tell you why a little bit later on in the service. But uh, let's go ahead and work on our memory verse. This is the last day of our memory verse here. This is Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. If you haven't been with us throughout this series, then uh, then what we've been doing, just to catch up to speed, is we've been doing just a little smidge of this passage each week throughout Hebrews as a memory verse for us to sort of encapsulate All of these main themes going on in Hebrews here. I like, by the way, AV crew, that the first part's very small. You can hardly read it. (laughs) That means some of you are really going off memory here. So let's see if we can do the whole thing together. Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. Here we go. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. in time of need, is that little portion that we're memorizing for today. So uh, if you got through that, well done. Thanks, A.V. crew. If you're not uh, there yet in Hebrews 12, I'd like to encourage you to open up there. We're going to camp out there uh, this morning. Um, if you're taking notes, I'll refer to some other passages along the way, um, but we're not really going to go look at them uh, since we've got a lot to cover here in Hebrews today. Uh, but I'll refer to them along the way so that you can look them up. Later, so uh, keep your thumb there in Hebrews 12. Uh, But before we get into the text, let's go ahead and pray together. Lord God, we pause for a moment as we open your word, asking that your spirit would be in our hearts and minds, convicting us. Lord, the message of Hebrews. Has something for all of us, and uh, many of us are in different places in our journeys with you. And so we ask that you would continue to convict with your Spirit in ways that are appropriate to the hearers. That today, as we wrap up this awesome book, that we would uh, learn afresh what it means to live now in light of eternity. What it means for us to live as people of faith. What it means for us to be people who are called by your name to continue in that journey as those many, many folks who have been people of faith before us for many hundreds and thousands of years. We want to live up to those who have gone before, Lord, in a way that continues to extend your kingdom, in a way way that continues to to demonstrate in our lives that you are a God of eternity. And that what we see and what we sometimes feel in the here and now can be distracting from your kingdom and your eternal truths and values. So we ask, Lord, to be people who see beyond uh, the distractions that so easily entangle us and the sin that hinders us so that we would continue to become people you've called us to be. We ask for your Spirit's work in our hearts and minds today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. This this Hebrews congregation is at a fork in the road. These once Jews, now Christ followers, are sort of standing figuratively here in front of, of two signs. One sign pointing down one path says, to Mount Sinai. And the other sign pointing down the other path, says, to Mount Zion. Throughout this sermon in in Hebrews here, the preacher has been encouraging them to stick with the Mount Zion path. But they've been tempted along the way to head back to Mount Sinai. You see, the road to Sinai is a well-traveled road. It's familiar to these people who used to be Jews. It's familiar to them downhill most of the way. Lots of of fast food restaurants along the way, rest stops. And the road to Sinai, it looks and it feels a lot more comfortable to them than the rockier and narrower way that climbs up to Mount Zion. Now, if you'll recall, Sinai, Sinai is the famous mountain of God from the Old Testament where the law was first given to Moses... And the people of God. So Sinai represented a foundational marker in their history as a people. Sinai represented, in the minds of the Hebrews, the old covenant ways of relationship with God. It was a place of fear and trembling where the presence of God was gained through their own sacrifice and their own works in that temple sacrifice system. However, Zion was the place that they were looking forward to. It promised peace and comfort. Zion was that heavenly city. In chapter 11, if you remember, God it said God prepared for them a city. It prepared for those who had been faithful all along the way in their lives. It had, he has prepared for them a city. There are references to this city thing all throughout the Bible in Psalms 26 in 110:2 in Isaiah 62:6 6 through 12 Hebrews has them all over the place in 11 here in uh, our our chapter here in chapter 13 one of the most famous is Revelation 22:1 through 22 uh, and following if you want you want to read about the city of God and and what we're talking about today Sinai represents all those things of their own sacrifice and their works and Zion represents that heavenly city that they were going toward. It was their goal. So if you want to read about that heavenly city, Revelation 21 and following is a great place uh, to do that. Apparently, you guys get to be the old covenant today, and you guys get to be the new ways. So, uh, so we don't like your way. We like your way. So good job, people. You win today. <clears throat> The people in Hebrews, as we've talked about along the way, were experiencing some hard things, some hardships, and some persecution. It had started to become painful to follow Jesus. And so, throughout this whole book, the preacher in Hebrews is encouraging them to do what they can to remain faithful. He's encouraging them to choose the high road to Zion. And so what the preacher here in this passage, in chapter 12, what he does is he uses a classic travel agent's sales pitch. He has them imagine that they are already there. He has them imagine that they are already in the heavenly city. He has them dream about how much better it will be to be in Zion. It's like the commercials that we've all seen that start out with that weary husband in rush hour traffic, or the harried mother whose kids are screaming in the back while she's trying to order in the drive through and then all that noise and that clamor, they fade out as the scene dissolves to a quiet and peaceful couple lounging on a picture-perfect sailboat that bobs gently in the harbor with the nice breeze blowing through their hair. And of course, they're beautiful people, just smiling, enjoying their time together on the sailboat. And then the camera pans out. Other boats come into the scene. Tall buildings begin to appear. That famous orchestra house on the side of the harbor and and an exotic Aussie accent comes over the air and says, forget the traffic and the tension. Leave behind all the phones and the faxes. You aren't at the office. You're not doing the dishes because you're in magical Sydney, Australia. And then the music starts in. The scene cuts to this couple dancing, smiling, her head back and her hair hanging down. They're laughing together, easing cra- eating crazy and exotic foods with things that stick out of them. And they're having a good old time together on their vacation. This is kind of like what's going on here in the text of Hebrews. Hebrews is taking us on a sort of a mini vacation to our goal of, verse 22, of having come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God. To the heavenly Jerusalem, it says. To innumerable angels in festal gathering. To the assembly of the firstborn who were enrolled in heaven. And to God, the judge of all. To the spirits of the righteous made perfect. And it it, it culminates in talking about Jesus. You have come to the city where Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, has his sprinkled blood there on display, speaking a better word than the blood of Abel, It's all there in this picture. Everything you've ever imagined and more is there and available for you in the city of the living God, in the new Jerusalem, in that heavenly place called Zion. <laughs> but the fact is, you aren't in Sydney. You're watching TV in your family room in your family room that probably needs to be swept or vacuumed, while you watch the diversionary void called television. All the while, you are avoiding the laundry, and the kids are upstairs yelling about not sharing the toys or something like that that goes on in other people's homes. (laughs) So here we are. We have this vision of the heavenly city in front of us, and yet we live in the place where laundry piles up. And life is frustrating. And the printer on Sunday morning doesn't work. But if, as we're asked to do here in Hebrews, if you're taking the mental vacation that we're being asked here to take in Hebrews, then you are already, in your imagination, taking a dip in those warm waters. It's sort of this Calgon, take-me-away moment. And this pretend appetite wedding kind of trip to, to Zion makes you want to go there all the more. So here in Hebrews, the preacher turned travel agent is reminding his congregation that they are citizens of that dreamy kingdom, that kingdom that cannot be shaken. So he begins his travelogue, verse 18 through 21, with this reminder of the old ways. He says, For you have not come to what may be touched, to Mount Zion, Says, you have not come to that, but rather verse 22. You have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God. The contrast here is intended to be a stark contrast. In fact, in the original text, the first word of verse 18 is the word not. Not this. And then verse 22, but is the first word there. But. You have come to Mount Zion. This isn't this isn't Kansas anymore. The laundry and the job responsibilities and the kids screaming upstairs are over. In fact, he's saying the fear and the dread of that first way of life that is over. The fear and dread of Sinai, the old ways of having to maintain one's relationship with God by my own sacrifice, that's done. Because you're in Zion, the city of the living God. The preacher here in Hebrews has come to the end of his long message. And in order to give it sort of a rhetorical, a rhetorical flourish, he wraps up by gathering together all of those themes and those motifs and those uh, uh, things that he's been talking about throughout the sermon. It's a summary of Hebrews that contrasts Zion and Sinai as a backdrop for reminding them who they are and what they have in Jesus Christ. So, Jesus Christ, finally listed at the end there of that long list in uh, 18 through 24. Finally listed here is the culmination of God's work on our behalf. That's the key to all of this going on in Hebrews and even in this passage. That is that Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant. So, so at the end of this very long sermon in Hebrews... It is precisely because of the person and the work of Jesus Christ that we can be who he's called us to be. As we've been saying this whole series, it is the foundation of Christ's better work, his superior Zion-like work of atoning for our sins, of making up for our sins. It is that work that spurs us to live with faith and with passion. If you've been with us for most of Hebrews, it makes sense now to say that faithful living is passionate living. If you look at your outlines, it's, uh, it's three parts we're going to talk about here. It's because of the superior priestly work of Christ on our behalf Verse 24 there, he's a mediator of a new covenant. It's because of his superior work on our behalf that we have three things. Removal from the shaking that we cannot endure. That's Sinai in verses 18 through 24. The second thing is that we have the unshakable life that we can endure. I'm sorry, the first part's 18 to 21. The second part is 22 through 24. This is in your outline there. And then the third part, we have an unshakable God and kingdom that we can heed and adore from 25 to 29. Look first at 18 to 21. We are removed from that kind of shaking that we cannot endure. He talks about fire. He talks about darkness. He talks about gloom, a tempest, the sound of a trumpet and voice that that are so loud you, you can't bear it. Here in these verses in 18 through 21, Mount Sinai recalls all that's been said in this letter about the exodus, about the wilderness wanderings, about those priests that that, that could not atone for sins, all of that sacrificial worship, the, the blood of bulls and goats that cannot work, as it said. Mount Sinai stands for all of those things. Israel's experience of God at Sinai was an experience of the distant, of the inaccessible. The terrifying and dreadful nature of that occasion is underscored by things like natural disasters and trumpet blasts and a frightening voice without a face or a form. That's a scary place to be, friends. In the presence of God in a way that crushes. In a way that you have no control over whatsoever. And if you were watching storms this week that ended in tragedy for a number of folks at Greene County, you felt some of that. I looked outside and I thought, God has power Beyond what we can possibly fathom. So we must be people who live in light of that truth, who understand that very clearly. I remember very clearly my experience as a child at Disney. I was pretty young, maybe six or seven, the first time I went. And I went to the haunted house at Disney. There were smoke and mirrors and strange voices, and and goblins screaming. My, I remember my heart pounding inside my chest. I wanted out as soon as humanly possible because I thought I was not going to make it out alive as a six-year-old. I really thought that. The net effect is the same here. The people cannot bear it, and they plead, Exodus 20, do not let God speak to us, or we will die. If even an an animal touched the mountain, just barely touched it, in Exodus 19 it says, it would be stoned to death. So the writer's point here in Hebrews is unavoidable. And it's this. The conditions under which the old covenant was given, the conditions were were, were dread, fear, distance, exclusion, That's why the old tabernacle had a huge four-inch thick curtain that preserved those features of distance, of inaccessibility, of exclusion. You could not get to God's presence. But because of the work of Christ as mediator, number two, we have that access. It is the unshakable life that we can endure. Verses 22 through 24. Mount Zion represents these things. Look at these descriptions here. Verse 22 talks about the eternal city. Talks about the messengers of God. That is his angels. Talks about God's own people, the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. It talks about full access to God in verses 23 and 24 there. Just as impressive and scary and dreadful as those details of Mount Sinai here are the, destination, are the details about the destination of Christians making a pilgrimage to Zion. You see, Mount Zion is the city of the living God, is the heavenly Jerusalem. All of those things are that same heavenly picture of a single place. And since the time of David, Zion and Jerusalem were regarded as the location of God's presence, sometimes both being named, sometimes one, sometimes the other. So, of course, the writer has in mind a heavenly Jerusalem, the city for which the faithful long. And within that city are all those descriptions of the myriad of angels, thousands upon thousands of angels who fill God's court and attend to his self-disclosures. It says they are joyously gathered in celebration. It's a festal gathering. And the judge, that is God, is there. You can count on fairness and vindication. His judgments are right and pure. And those who trust him... Need not fear that day of judgment. Friends, either you come to God in His infinite perfections that we may never, ever, ever meet. Or you come to Him in a way that is accessible through His Son, Jesus Christ, because of the mediator of that covenant. Which means that because of his superior work on our behalf, we have, thirdly, an unshakable and eternal God and kingdom that we heed and we adore. Look at verses 25 to 9 there at the end. In verse 25, we see this, this, this warning that we are to heed. And in 28 to 29, we see the God we adore. First, look at verse 25. A solemn warning to heed. It says, See that you do not refuse Him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused Him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject Him who warns. (laughs) Better pay attention. Better keep your eyes peeled and your ears ready. If they didn't escape being called to judgment when he warned them on earth, he's saying here, at Sinai, how much less will we escape if we ignore the one who still sits on his throne in heaven? In other words, given the superior nature of the new covenant, the superior work of Jesus Christ, how can we not respond in faith, it says? Verses 28 to 29. This is the God we are called to adore, to worship Verses 28 and 29, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Even though we certainly don't want Sinai, (laughs) we don't want those old ways. We have not arrived at some soft, permissive place the proper posture as a Christ follower is not a chumminess with God, but worship in reverence and awe because, verse 29, He remains a consuming fire. In our new relationship with God, we are not permitted a sort of chummy, happy-go-lucky, happy-go-lucky, whatever kind of posture because God's nature has not changed, but the access to His nature has He is still the God who is a consuming fire, who can shake not only the earth, but the heavens. And at the end of time here on earth, all that will remain is that which cannot be shaken. What is unshakable has been there all along. It's been there all along, but will be fully and finally evident After the removal of all that is temporary. Those things that remain that are constant and unshakable are God's son. Are Christ the high priest like Melchizedek. That lasting possession of those who remain faithful to him. And that city that abides forever. Now if one truly grasps this reality that the eternal things are the only unshakable realities then it changes everything. Let me say that again. If one truly grasps the reality that eternal things are the only unshakable realities that will remain, then it will change everything. How I think and how I live now will be changed in light of that transforming vision. The knowledge of the coming shaking of the world, the end of all time, that will cause us to evaluate very closely those things in which I am currently investing my life. You see, friend, the faithful follower of Jesus Christ lives now in light of the unseen then, when Christ will appear the christian lives now for what will be stable eternally this kind of view it separates what is real from what is unreal because what is real will last everything else no matter how real it seems to you now is treated as insubstantial hardly worth a snort and when you are looking from the end of time your perspective now will be changed That's a commitment to valuing things that are of eternal weight and consequence. That's a commitment that will cause you and I to live with faithful abandon, with full-on faith that knows clearly that God will work with you or without you. The question is, which is it going to be? Is he going to work with you or without you? So easily, we vainly strive for things that will not last. And being a part of the work of God for the cause of Christ and for eternity means that those things for which we vainly strive that will be gone are a waste of our time. They're a waste of our resources. God's going to make this happen. The question is, will you be a part of that kingdom that cannot be shaken? I want to close with a familiar story for some of you, maybe. It's about a young college student who decided that he wanted his life to be a part of God's work for eternity. He was one of five young missionaries who sought to reach out to a group of Indians in the rainforests of Ecuador in the late 1950s. Jim Elliott was his name, and he and his, his four companions spent months planning this outreach to the Alka Indians. You see, the Alkas were were Stone Age killers who had come to distrust any contact with the outside world. And the effort of these missionaries ended in their own murder, a tragedy that they knew they were risking by entering these people's context. But you see, just, just two days prior, sorry, just two days prior to that fateful day of their murders, Elliot and the others had met three of these Indians on the beach where they'd landed their planes. They used it as an airstrip. And that meeting was a friendly meeting, it heightened their hopes of those missionaries who had come there to share the gospel. When they returned forty eight hours after that meeting, hopeful, the missionaries expected that, that good things were going to happen. They expected their new friend their newfound friends to arrive to meet them, but about four thirty that afternoon, those young missionaries had given their lives, slain with spears by the men with whom they had hoped to share Christ. The world calls that a nightmare. And it was tragic in its own sense. But the cost of that terrible moment where those missionaries lost their lives, it must be weighed ultimately on the scales of eternal values. Seven years earlier, in 1949, when Jim Elliot was in college, he penned a now famous quote, that puts this kind of loss in perspective. He said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. You know, if you were to travel to the Alka Indians today, you would be greeted by uh, warm and friendly smiles of people who have been changed by the gospel because those missionaries' wives went back and they preached the gospel to those people and every single person in that tribe accepted Jesus Christ and now they are sending their own missionaries from the Alka Indians to others in their area. Hebrews challenges us to live now in light of that which cannot be lost. In light of an unshakable kingdom of God that will continue to wait for us, those of us who are faithfully waiting for that day to be with Him. We can gain that which we cannot lose by faithfully trusting in God's grace by heeding His Word, by living in reverent awe and worship of Him. That's what we're doing here, friends. We're developing ourselves into the kinds of people who care about that unshakable kingdom of Zion. God's shaping the events of the world, though we don't see it and don't always feel it, For us to be in that place, to be a part of that heavenly city, that new Jerusalem beyond. This is not all there is. So may we be the kind of people who live in light of that eternal city today. Let's pray. Lord, we've lived in light of things that are temporary. We've fashioned our lives so often around concerns and values that feel good for a day, that temporarily satisfy. But Lord, we want to be people who live in the faith, who live with full out abandon and passionately in light of the fact that we know that you are working all things for the good of your glory. That someday we will remain faithfully devoted to you in a way that means that we enter that city. Lord, I look forward to seeing your son Jesus Christ face to face. For him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. And so, Lord, we want to worship you. We want to be people who heed your word, who have our ears open and our eyes on the horizon looking for you. May we be people, Lord, who continue to look that way. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. If you're looking for a church home as a baptized believer, we want to invite you to be a part of us if you're looking for a church home. If you want to name Jesus Christ publicly in the waters of baptism, we'd also like to invite you to come forward as we stand and as we sing.